0: The first time I heard of David Foster Wallace, I was a senior in high school. It's kind of late in the game for someone to hear of him, and it's particularly ironic now, now that I know I want to be a writer. But if this can serve as an excuse, and if this means anything at all, I never had a reason to know of him before then. It was my twin brother, Ethan, who told me about Wallace, and not about his most famous novel, Infinite Jest, or his widely read nonfiction essays, but a speech he had made back in 2005 at the Kenyan College Commencement. The speech is titled on YouTube and possibly in Wallace's notes as this is water, this is water. And it starts as Wallace remarks, like any other commencement address.
1: This is a standard requirement of US commencement speeches, the deployment of didactic little parable-ish stories.
0: And the story goes like this.
1: There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water?
0: The point feels deep, like not just funny, meaningful, but it's not totally clear why. Kind of like a lot of other parables
1: the point of the fish story is merely that the most obvious important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about stated as an english sentence of course this is just a banal platitude but the fact is that in the day-to-day trenches of adult existence banal platitudes can have a life or death importance
0: He's saying that little parables, cliches, phrases that we hear every day, that we get tired of, when we're able to peer into them and see what they actually mean, like what their message is, they explode into true insight. Insight that, in the long run, I guess, can mean the difference between life and death. When I was a senior in high school and Ethan told me about this speech, I looked it up. I listened to the whole thing, it's about 20 minutes long, and it really, really spoke to me, like I felt it. It felt like truth, capital T truth, or real and honest. What I was going through then was this very reflective, transitory moment in my life. You know, I had just gotten into college, I was ready to move away from home, started a new chapter in my life, and I looked back at all those years I'd spent in school, I guess it was 13 or 14, including preschool and kindergarten, maybe even more. And I just thought it was so strange that I had never questioned what I was doing. You know, like, I just sort of got up at 7 a.m., which to me was really early in the morning. So I was always tired. I got dressed, walked to school, sat through class after class after class, and then went home that was it. I didn't have many friends, I didn't have all that many hobbies, and I just went to bed, woke up, and did it again, again, and again, and again. Day after day, after week, after month, after year, get up, go to school, come back home. It wasn't always this simple, of course. But what was strange was that I never questioned whether I should be doing what I was doing. Like, I didn't need to do it. Why get up so early? Why even go to school? I don't think I could have answered that question, at least well, for many years. I just did it. And then kept on doing it. David Foster Wallace talks about this kind of routine this thing that becomes so natural to us that we no longer understand why it's there. He uses the example of the average college graduate working a white-collar job.
1: By way of example, let's say it's an average adult day and you get up in the morning, go to your challenging white-collar college graduate job, and you work hard for 8 or 10 hours, and at the end of the day you're tired and somewhat stressed. And all you want is to go home and have a good supper and maybe unwind for an hour and then hit the sack early because of course you have to get up the next day and do it all again.
0: You do this again and again and again. Just becomes your routine. Not not bad, not particularly good though. Just reality, your life, school, job, marriage, the constants and the cycles that fill your days up. And Wallace's point, which he eventually gets to, is that if we just kind of float through this routine, we get up every morning without thinking, walk to school, drift through the hallways, sleep through classes, float back home to your bed to sleep, and start it all over again. If we do this without thinking, we end up losing sight of what might actually matter, meaning we lose sight of where we are in the world. Let's go back to the college graduate's life. You're home after a long day of work, and you're ready to settle down, sleep, and wake up to start again tomorrow. And I'll let Wallace take it from here.
1: But then you remember there's no food at home. You haven't had time to shop this week because of your challenging job. And so now, after work, you have to get in your car and drive to the supermarket. It's the end of a work day, and the traffic is apt to be very bad. So getting to the store takes way longer than it should. And when you finally get there, the supermarket is very crowded, because of course it's the time of day when all the other people with jobs also try to squeeze in some grocery shopping. And the store is hideously, fluorescently lit and infused with soul-killing Muzak or corporate pop. And it's pretty much the last place you want to be. But you can't just get in and quickly out. You have to wander all over the huge, overlit stores, confusing aisles to find the stuff you want and you have to maneuver your junky cart through all these other tired, hurried people with carts, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, cutting stuff out because it's a long ceremony and eventually <laughs> you get all your supper supplies, except now it turns out there aren't enough checkout lanes open even though it's the end of the day rush. So the checkout line is incredibly long, which is stupid and infuriating. But you can't take your frustration out on the frantic lady working the register who is overworked at a job whose daily tedium and meaninglessness surpasses the imagination of any of us here at a prestigious college. But anyway, you finally get to the checkout lines front and you pay for your food and get told to have a nice day in a voice that is the absolute voice of death. And then you have to take your creepy flimsy plastic bags of groceries in your cart with the one crazy wheel that pulls maddeningly to the left all the way out through the crowded bumpy literary parking lot and then you have to drive all the way home through slow, heavy, SUV-intensive rush-hour traffic, et cetera, et cetera.
0: It sounds like hell, almost, when he says it like that. It's familiar, though, right? The frustration, the repetition, the annoyance, everything. What Wallace says, though, the point of his speech, beyond just saying that, well, yeah, life is dull and repetitive and exhausting, His point is that we can choose to see it differently when we do this thing again and again and hate it. We hate it because we are only seeing ourselves in this terrible, horrible, cyclical world. We are the ones being pushed around, and we are the ones being bored, and we are the ones being inconvenienced. It's what Wallace calls our natural default setting. We are at the center of the world. What you might do, though, is conceive of how other people also fit into this world. You know, the car that cuts you off might be driven by someone rushing to get their child to the hospital. Or the teacher that gives you detention might be suffering through a long divorce. Or the lady who bumps into your cart at the supermarket without apologizing might have just lost her mother. These things aren't likely, but they're not impossible. And if you choose to ignore them, give in to your default setting, then you'll live your life at the center of a miserable world. This is the difference between life and death to Wallace. The banal platitude that those things that are most important are often those that are hardest to see. Without seeing them, maybe we're just stuck in a hamster wheel. Wake up, go to school, sit through class, walk home, go to sleep the difference between life and death, I guess. To Wallace, maybe it was, he famously committed suicide at age 46 in 2008, three years after he made this speech. The point is, though, that if you can overcome the constancy of routine that washes over your life, if you can somehow see what surrounds you, what's real and what's possible, then you might find something that means something. I'll let Wallace finish
1: this. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. I know that this stuff probably doesn't sound fun and breezy or grandly inspirational the way a commencement speech is supposed to sound. What it is, as far as I can see, is the capital T Truth with a whole lot of rhetorical niceties stripped away. You are, of course, free to think of it whatever you wish. But please don't just dismiss it as some finger-wagging Dr. Laura sermon. None of this stuff is really about morality or religion or dogma or big fancy questions of life after death. The capital T Truth is about life before death. It is about the real value of a real education which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water, this is water.
0: That speech inspired today's show. We talked to regular people about regular things that they do every day, things they believe and wanna believe. And I guess we were trying to find out for ourselves what water actually is. Anyway, maybe this is it. This is water. This is water. I'm Oliver Wang. This is WPRB News. Stay with us.